Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Shrink Think Podcast. We are continuing the series that we started last time on the different forms or kinds of therapy that are out there. In the first episode, we talked about CBT, which is cognitive behavioral psychology. And that, as you go back and listen, was kind of a, in summary here, was, was kind of a practical one. It was a response to psychoanalysis or psychodynamic therapy that, you know, we're describing came from Sigmund Freud, laying on the couch and free associating and talking about dreams and such like that. I mean, it was more of Carl Jung, but um, that kind of stuff, all that, like, you know, <laughs> all that, like, mother wounding and uh, what was it? Like, no, no. let's you not. really want to do it? No, no, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> you can Google that stuff if you want. <laughs> but anyway, CBT was like a response to all that stuff. And so we're, we're kind of going out of order in history here, but we wanted to start with something practical last time. We're going to go to kind of, in some ways, the foundation of psychotherapy. It's a simpler version of psychoanalysis, but this is called psychodynamic therapy. And this is going to probably feel in some ways uh, stuffy, heady, abstract, nebulous, but that is in some ways what you get when you're dealing with the mind. So to get us started, Nathan, tell us what is psychodynamic therapy? Yeah. You know, in brief, it's just an attempt to understand the mind and help the other person understand their own mind as well. Because the idea is if they do that, then they will somehow be better. So they'll have insight into what's going on. And then the stuff that's going on that's wrong will kind of fix itself. How is that different from, you know, we're talking about kind of the history here. How is that different from psychoanalysis? Like what, what was that doing? And how did psychodynamic come out of that to make a more simpler, simplistic process? And even in some ways, based on quote-unquote science. I mean, they, they had some methods for science, but it's nowhere near what we can do now. But it was a little bit more science-based than psychoanalysis was. Back in the day, Sigmund Freud, um, when you think about what he, he was up against, it's pretty easy to develop some respect for him. I mean, we that was back. We knew nothing. I mean, we knew nothing. They were trying to figure out how to deal with folks that are like, now we know of schizophrenia and other things like that. And there's a lot of weird, quite frankly, sexual things that were going on in the, the wealthy community. Not that that's not happening now, quite frankly, because there's a lot of studies on that um, or research showing up now these days. But if you, <laughs> I, I think honestly, that's where a lot of this stuff came from with Freud. I think when you think of Freud, he focuses a lot on, on sexual things. And the reason why is because he looks at that drive um, as as very powerful. Even from an evolutionary perspective, he's like, this is literally keeping the species alive, and this is why we struggle so hard to try to, to contain that drive and make it not problematic. So he framed a lot 
around that. And if you're a psychoanalyst, you're probably somewhat irritated by this right now. I understand it's a lot more complex than that. So what Freud did, he was trying to just simply understand the mind. And so he had people come in and sit down on this kind of chaise lounge type of a thing and face away from him. And he sat behind them. And the reason why is because he didn't want people looking at him and then their thoughts or whatever they were saying would change. He noticed that that was happening. So he thought, what if I don't get in front of them? Will they say things differently? Because his idea is, I just need direct access to understand how the mind in this person is working. And that is still kind of a true concept today. When we're doing research, there's this thing called observation bias. And that means like if you're in the room or if you're in, you're trying to study something, but you're there and people know you know, you're wearing a white lab coat, for example, and you're, you're observing people. Well, they know that they're being observed, and that, so they're different. They change because they can see you observing them. So it's that idea of, like, getting yourself out of the way so that the person has the freedom and space to just be and think whatever they're going to, to do. So he came from the concept of this idea of what's called transference, and that's used, like, who he is, how he's being, what his looks, facial expressions are. He did not want them to transfer to the other person to where they would then be thinking from the place of some of the stuff that's just come from his looks or appearance or, you know, maybe he didn't smile or something and now they're, now they're being different. For, for all the people that want acceptance, you know, they're like, what are you thinking? You're thinking that you have no expression. Are you mad at me? <laughs> right. All this stuff comes out. So... The other thing that if you don't know this as a um, as a younger therapist or or whatever, he's the one that came up with this entire idea of countertransference, which, by the way, is freaking brilliant. It is brilliant. How, when you think about how he came up with this from zero, he's just trying to understand the mind and he figures this out. I'll give you an example. So growing up, my dad was more of an angry guy. So right now, if I have a person that comes into therapy, I... I know that like I can see a per anger in a person about 300 miles away. Um, and so when if somebody's in therapy and they are being angry and then I don't have, um, let's say that I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not really paying attention to myself in th as a therapist. If I respond to that person the same way that I responded to my dad, as a child. As a child, then that is called countertransference. That's what he, he came up with this thing. Because he's like, the way that you understand that you respond to a situation that was historical with another human in the situation that's happening there that's not happening, you know, because this person has the same emotion that I'd be responding to as if I was younger. But that person is not your dad and you're not 10 years old. <laughs> right. And actually, a lot of work that we do in grad school to become therapists is to understand where we're coming from so that we can get a handle on this countertransference and we don't treat clients from the perspective of our own experience that we already have. Yeah. And just another piece of that, like, I don't think anybody is really, I think there are some people that might believe this, but I think realistically speaking, nobody really believes that therapists don't have their own thoughts and feelings and experiences. It's just a matter of whether or not you can acknowledge those and be aware of those and manage those well. Because we can have stuff like countertransference, like you're talking about, that comes up. But if you already know that about yourself, and if you know how to manage that, or if you worked on that in yourself, 
then it's like, oh, I'm familiar with that and I can move it over to the side and it doesn't have to be an issue that gets in the way of uh, the therapy that's happening. It's not something I'm putting on the client. It's just something that I know and I can use. And in some ways that can be extremely helpful. For example, you know, if you're responding like this child, some, in some ways that can be your stuff. And in some ways that can also be his stuff. And if you can use it well, you can say, you know, I mean, my dad used to respond to me uh, or used to talk to me in this way. And here's how, how it made me feel as a child. And I'm aware of that now. I'm wondering if other people in your life, when you get angry like that, if it makes them feel small. Or if it makes them feel, you know, young or afraid like my dad made me feel. And now, rather than reacting to this person like a 10-year-old child, who's your dad, instead you're being, you know, a grown therapist who's using this information wisely for your client. So anyway, all that's just to say, like, this counter-transference idea is, is brilliant because it's another part of a person and the dynamic with a client therapist in the room that needs to be understood and addressed. Right. Again, that's kind of what they do teach you is, is that's the entire point is to be able to use it rather than just be reactive with it. And so Freud's doing all this psychoanalysis. He's analyzing the, the psyche is what it's really about. Right. And, you know, he, he got some heat and there's there's you probably know some of it. I mean, obviously, if you're sexualizing stuff, he's going to get heat from that. There's also the reality that a lot of these people are coming to him like more than two times a week. And that's a lot of money. So it's basically the wealthy people that are doing this. And so this idea comes up like, let's, let's look at, let's kind of simplify this and get more specific. And this idea of psychodynamic comes up, right? So now psychodynamic is interested in the emotions, thoughts, early life experiences in people and their beliefs. Because the idea is to try to help people understand those challenge those and get people to change based on the insight that they get as they go, which is what we were destroying in our last. <laughs> right. You're like, wait a minute, which, which, what are you guys, where are you landing? Before it was like, this is bad. Now this is okay. <laughs> are you guys bipolar? I don't know. No, but it's, it's really like a matter of what you're going to focus on. Some people like in the CBT camp there, remember they were responding out of this and realizing that going to therapy more than twice a week or twice a week and paying all this money for years and years and years and maybe not necessarily getting anywhere. They wanted to look at something that was more practical. So it's not that these things don't have value. They're just looking at it from the standpoint of, I want to make some changes right now. And so they had to ignore some of this stuff that we're talking about now that actually really does have a lot of value. So we really want you to see the difference between CBT and psychodynamic, for example, because this insight base, I would say, personally, this is where I come from a lot. I, I like to understand these things, and that insight really does develop motivation to change, and understanding kind of those patterns is something, personally for me, and then probably for the clients that I attract, it helps us to understand what's going on so that we can see things more clearly and make those changes more easily, as opposed to just do this or do that. Psychodynamic approach puts a little bit of a more of a, of a broader label on what's going on in the sense that before with CBT, you're in a situation you realize you have you, you, you can identify that you have all or nothing thinking. Don't do that. Whereas with psychodynamic, you're in a situation and you have learned enough to know how you experience um, situations. So like in the past, you understand some life patterns that you have. 
and some ways that you experienced stuff earlier in life. And now you go through this thing and you're like, you realize you are interpreting, because that's what a lot of this is about, is interpretation. You are interpreting this current life experience in the same way that you would have done it when you were like 12. And you know in that moment you disagree with that. And so you, you are able to essentially understand your experience and then then try to be different. But it's helpful to be able, I think, to be able to know like, that is a 12-year-old way to think about this. So this is probably not happening. And whereas if you just went to all or nothing thinking like, yeah, I, I, that's not all bad. I, I'm not going to do that. It's like, well, that's true, but it feels a little bit more superficial to me. I feel like with psychodynamic, there's more depth to be able to shift more of us to a different place, which, which with the psychodynamic approach, the idea is, is to honor the whole mind and to change the person. It's not really focused as much on behaviors, which is some of what other, the other folks are frustrated with. Yeah. And just in that, that little vignette that you're describing right there, it validates the whole person. I'm thinking for people that are coming in and that was their entire experience, you know, something at 12, they might need that seen and understood and validated. And so, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, this big thing, but to have a therapist sit across from them and to acknowledge, yeah, I can see why that would have been painful to you, or I can see why you would respond that way as a 12-year-old, and I can see why you want, want to respond that way now or feel that way now. Having all that seen and clarified and validated, I think, can bring some internal settling for people that enables them to be able to let go of that and to move on. So it does, in some ways, it, it um, I guess, highlights things. It flips the light on in the room, in this dark room. It points things out. And it kind of brings this like, okay, I've got some resolution to whatever this stuff is, and I'm okay flipping the light off, knowing what's there, and then moving on from it. As opposed to, I don't really know what's in that room. It's a dark room, and it creates problems. I'm just, I just know that I, every time I go there, bad things happen, so don't do that. Uh, for some people, understanding that helps them because they've got these, like, in my mind, like these mental schemas of themselves that they need to have in order to function well. Uh, mental schemas just meaning like a map of their own mind. For some people, they just need to know all those landmines in order to move on. So this is really um, not an experiential approach, really, but it's a way to... It, the psychodynamic approach is trying to figure out a way to help gain insight in the situation, to do as Aaron was just saying, to be able to, to very much settle and then actually pivot your entire personhood um, all your behaviors and emotions line up in a different direction. So whereas with CBT, you go, I'm not going to think like that. And you don't do that. And you just kind of act as if in a way you go in a different direction. You just are not going to do that. Your feelings are going to be yelling at you that entire time. And in the beginning, when you start doing stuff, you're going to be, as we kind of joke, like white knuckling it, like, nope, just not going to, it doesn't matter. That's a bad thought. I'm going to keep going, which can be helpful. But the idea with psychodynamic is if we can get into the insight, you're not going to have to white knuckle it because you'll just go, oh, that's dumb. You might be, if it's like a thought that you've had, like, that is so over. I don't need to even do that. And your feelings align, your thoughts align, your behavior aligns, and everything moves like Tetris in one kind of, in one movement. 
Yeah, we joked uh, in the last episode about this scene from Office Space, the jumping to conclusions. I guess that's on my mind um, again. But it's like the beginning of that movie, um, whatever the guy's name is. He uh, he goes to this hypnotherapist, and he has this like experience where he's like, I'm just not going to go to work anymore. And, like everything is in alignment. And like all the things that he's wanted to do, he's now able to do because everything in him is like aligned now somehow. And it's not this internal struggle anymore. In, in one of the next episodes, we'll get into another modality, which is internal family systems, which is going to take something like a psychodynamic approach and break it down even more. So when you're talking about your entire personhood shifting and adjusting to move into a different direction, sometimes you can have a major shift like that, but you have one little part of yourself, one little piece that's still stuck. And so uh, internal family systems will look at that on a more micro level to be really helpful. But in terms of what we're talking about today for psychodynamic, it is really important to get like the majority of yourself um, understood and and settled as we're describing so that all of you can shift into another direction. And of course, kind of some of the residual internal family systems can deal with, or if you're having some some problems where one is just really holding on, that's where that approach can come in. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next episode. So with psychodynamic approach, that's kind of a broad thing. As you're saying with with, um, internal family systems, the psychodynamic approach really encompasses any kind of therapy that is doing what we are what we are now talking about. So, interpersonal um, interpersonal relationship therapy is another one. Psychodynamic is one. The entire, or excuse me, <laughs> of course it is. I have, <laughs> IFS is one. <laughs> yeah, Aaron's going to try to rip me a new one. I can see. <laughs> I like that's T-ball, Aaron. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'll just let you sit with that. Where is that? Is that coming from somewhere in your life? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm a horrible podcaster. (laughs) Oh, that was on the other episode. Like, (laughs) like, what is that exaggerate? Labeling. Labeling. There you go. And (laughs) overgeneralizing. Let's just do it. you need some work. (laughs) Wow, I didn't realize I needed the work. This comes from when I was 18. (laughs) I'm different. <laughs> so much insight so quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. You were saying that uh, psychodynamic encompasses a lot of different uh, versions of therapy, uh, interpersonal relationship therapy and IFS. Are there some others? Yeah, um, hypnosis. That would you could say is an intervention, but for a hypnotherapist of what they do, I'm trained in that also. It is its own totally its own thing and it would be a psychodynamic approach also it's interesting too because in grad school there's a significant difference in psychodynamic nomenclature Big what word. the heck does that I mean know. and all and all other therapy um, nomenclature is 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 a way in which the language of of therapy works the way in well nomenclature is actually just this just the language set how you talk about certain things like plumbers have a nomenclature mm-hmm. they talk about pipes and they have this whole thing that they learn and, <laughs> and like people in construction oh yeah we need to like measure the you know some the circumference of the something or other and <laughs> like 
what do you want me to do? Do I hammer this or do I not? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's T-Paul for me now. It's like, (laughs) my turn. (laughs) I'm just going to leave it. No, but so the, the, I remember going and getting trained in hypnosis and they started talking about parts and all this stuff. And I was like, what are they talking? And I realized that in grad school, they were really focusing on the brain and different kind of like very specific interventions. And then all of a sudden it was like, there was a lot more, the way that you speak about uh, from the place of psychodynamic therapy leaves more room to be able to try to explain and understand something. Like it, it will let you talk about it quite frankly, a lot more. Um, what, not one example, but kind of to back way up. And I think this is the right time to talk about this is to understand one of the things that Freud determined throughout the process of, of his work is he ended up dividing the human mind into three parts which he called the id, the ego, and the superego. And and it's just kind of what he noticed. And so when we're talking about other forms of psychodynamic therapy, those are therapies that kind of either focus or try to understand parts in a different way, like parts of people. They add some or or somehow um, try to understand how they how different aspects of the mind manifests itself. But those are still like the basic foundations of a person no matter how you shake them up or what label you put on them, what words you use with them, they're still like the foundation of a person being those three major camps. So to break those down very simplistically, I'll never forget in grad school what uh, what, what the professor said about the id because it just was like it gives just a picture. Um, but she called it the cauldron of incestual desire. It's this like really nasty picture of everything that you could possibly think of that's bad. <laughs> like like all this all this um, like stuff that maybe a little kid would just want to do. Like they would get in trouble. They just have the desire to do something that's like wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, so in, like in really obvious ways. The kid that wants to pull the pigtails and the girl in the bus in front of him, like that's the id. Like pull them, pull them, grab them, you know, like pull them down. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and Steal the candy. I know that word is troubling that I'm using there uh, about the cauldron, but I think it's important because it's it's kind of pointing out the real kind of, for lack of a better way to say it, nasty part of humanity that just only cares is totally self-absorbed. And on the other side, there's the ego. Or excuse me, on the other side, there's superego. The superego is very judgmental. It's kind of sits up and looks down and goes like, you're bad talking to yourself. You, it judges, it judges you and it judges you and it judges you. One might say that the super ego is constantly condescending upon thyself. Is that correct, Nathan? <laughs> oh my word. I feel like... I didn't know it was possible for you to look down your nose. <laughs> like, you, like you were actually looking down your nose. I'm like, that's where that com- that phrase comes from. <laughs> and why do I feel lower? I'm like the same height <laughs> in this chair anyway. Well, you do have a lower intellect than I do. <laughs> he hoped aloud. So <laughs> this uh, on these two sides, the id and the superego kind of, feed into the ego. The ego is where we, is the kind of the central area where you're just trying to um, uphold those two parts of your mind 
um, yourself or person that are informing you, like, you should go over there and pull that girl's pigtails. You can't do that. You're a bad person if you do that. You already know you're bad. And then the ego's in the moment of what is actually going to happen with these two opposing thoughts way back in the, in the old cartoons. Looney Tunes would be like angel on one side yeah. and a devil on the Shoulder other. Shoulder angel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and this is, actually, there's a current movie that's out right now that's about that, like an animation. But it's that same type of a thing. And then the question for the ego is, what does the ego do? That whole, what happens? And so as we'll get into next time, IFS, Internal Family Systems, would say, well, actually, there's way more parts than that. But Freud starts out by, by doing that. I think you know, it's it, there's a lot of research that he did. And by the way, like there's a lot that I don't agree with. But the fact the fact of the matter is with psychoanalysis and Freud's work, one of the things that they pointed out in grad school, they're like, that's cool. You can disagree with it if you want. They're, they're right now, folks, <laughs> podcast listeners, there are over 400 different modes of therapy that are logged and categorized out there. 400. And most of us old school people, like the ones that are sitting here talking to you right now, would disagree with most of them because they're not theories based on the entire the entire personhood of change. Freud's is. The guy studied this stuff for 80 years. Whether or not you want to agree with him or not, he has research for what he did. So you can't just throw the stuff out because you have to compare it with other research and say, well, my research says blah, blah, blah. And he, okay, well, that fits into what I'm saying with whatever it is. But anyway, my point is, is that there is a, there is a difference between therapy, like what we're talking about when Aaron introduced it, even in the last episode of psychotherapy and an intervention. And so these, these theories that we're talking about are ways that people experience life and the way that, and they try to speak to the way that people can change and how they grow and how they develop. An intervention is just something that you do in a specific situation and then you're done. And um, this is a little bit of a soapbox for me out there because I think like all these other things that are out there, which is why we're kind of focused um, on stuff that's more actually like a theory um, is kind of like, well, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I could take my fear triangle and these days and or our fear triangle make it make it like some kind of a theory out of it, I guess, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, but it's so in terms of intervention, like CBT, in a way, is kind of like a, a collection of interventions. It's like a whole it's a lot of interventions. Um, and in some ways, it's a theory that because the theory is like the thoughts and the behaviors are everything. So in that way, it does fit for a theory. But it really is in a lot of ways because it's so practical. It's just a lot of um, like interventions. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do those things. Psychodynamic is much more. It's not intervention based. It's not really trying to get people to do something. It's getting people to understand something and to be something different entirely. Um, so. With all of that, I guess I just want to kind of close up saying that um, hopefully you've got a good understanding of the flavor of this. Um, I, if you're listening and you are, or maybe if you stopped listening <laughs> a <laughs> then, while back, then we don't hear. You missed hear. out. Um, <laughs> if you stopped listening, you this this theory is not for you. <laughs> this form of therapy, because you're like, wow, I'm lost or this sounds boring or this sounds like I'm just not going to get anything from it, it, then that's true. This is probably not for you. Something like CBT is going to be more helpful to you. But if you're fascinated by this stuff and this is right up your alley and you want to know more and you're interested in exploring your beliefs and your whole life story and understanding where things came from and yeah, which part of me is like operating when I'm making these choices? Yeah, why did I do that? 
then this this form of therapy is for you. And not every therapist that does psychodynamic is going to come out and just say, like, I'm psychodynamic. Um, that might be, you know, we use a therapist directory um, to advertise ourselves called Psychology Today. It's a common one out there. And you can list a lot of modalities. Um, oftentimes that will be one that people check off because that kind of is a, a fundamental, not just something you do, but like Nathan said, it's a way that you view a person and a way that you view change. And so if that connects with you, then that's probably going to be more helpful. You know, one of the things I would say uh, as a consumer for yourself if you are looking at doing what's called depth work, so you're, you really are going to go, man, I really, I really need to look at myself. I really need to start actually paying attention to what's going on here and check myself out. You're probably going to want a psychodynamic therapist. As we described in, with CBT, it's more like, I need to stop doing this now. This is so irritating. I got to get out of my head. Well, CBT is probably going to be more for you. Or also, if you would like to save money, <laughs> CBT might be for you also. I know there are people out there that are like, wow, this is going to take a long time. How much did you cost? <laughs> I think I'll go with CBT. One of the things, though, is I think, Aaron, it's actually pretty difficult. Well, it's more difficult to find somebody that's psychodynamic that's going to advertise that. And part of the reason why is because insurance companies don't like the psychodynamic approach. And so therapists are nervous a lot of times to put down, like on the those list services, um, like directories or whatever, that they are psychodynamic because it, it makes insurance companies nervous. And so there's been this whole thing. That, that is actually the way that insurance has affected therapy over the last probably 30 or 40 years is like the reality that like, oh, if you say that you're psychodynamic, then um, you probably don't know what you're doing because you are you are not leading a person anywhere. And sure, that was a thing back in the day, but it doesn't really do anything or whatever. And that's not that's not remotely true. But it, because it, it it is true <laughs> that folks that are trying to help people that are psychodynamic therapists are trying to understand the whole person, and they are going to hold you accountable to being different. They're not just going to say, well, that's cool. See you later. You know, like maybe you've done for the last two years to yourself. Yeah, there's, I guess I just would say this, that there's a difference in the kind of change, whereas CBT might say, oh, good, you're making this change. Is it sustainable? Can you continue doing it? Great. Psychodynamic would say, I want to make lasting change. I want you to make a change uh, in wh whatever we're doing here that is going to last, that it's not just going to uh, come back in a couple of weeks or a couple of years, but it's because you are different, it's it's kind of a more of a permanent change. You are different, and so now you're going in a different direction permanently in your life. And so uh, obviously from a short-term insurance perspective, um, that's not as... Uh, advantageous to them. So all that's to say, um, thanks for listening to this episode on psychodynamic. Uh, as we mentioned next time, stay tuned. We're going to be talking about internal family systems. And if you thought that uh, all this like insight driven parts kind of stuff was interesting, uh, even if a little bit weird, stay tuned because internal family systems is crazy. I usually say to people as we're getting into it and we're, we're starting to do a little bit of internal family systems, I'm going to have to make you feel crazy in order to make you less crazy. Because as you start to unpack these parts of ourselves and kind of see what that's like and experience it, it kind of makes you feel like you've got a whole bunch of little people inside of you, <laughs> which is a little bit crazy. So there's your little uh, carrot dangling for the next episode. Stay tuned. 
Yeah. Thank you for listening, everyone, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. 